Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. WGR. Here's the American dream. Dusty Rhodes and Dusty, your fans welcome you back, man. Sports Radio 550. I don't have to say a lot more about the way I feel about Sports Talk Saturday. No respect, no honor. There is no honor among thieves in the first place. He put hard times on Dusty Rhodes and his family. You don't know what hard times are, Daddy. Hard times are when the textile workers around this country are out of work. They got four or five kids and can't pay their wages, can't buy their food. Hard times are when the auto workers are out of work and they tell them go home. And hard times are when a man has worked at a job 30 years. 30 years. They give him a watch, kick him in the butt and say, hey, a computer took your place, daddy. That's hard time. Want to talk to the guys on Sports Talk Saturday? Call or text us now. You put hard times on this country by taking Dusty Rhodes out. That's hard time. Sports Talk Saturday on WGR. Sports Talk Saturday is as long-standing as it's been and how very Great, the show has been for the better part of a couple decades here. I mean, Matthew Collar, Sal Capaccio, Nick Mendola. I mean, this show Me. has Corey Griswold. <laughs> this show has featured some of America's finest. Um, but Dusty Rhodes introducing this show every Saturday has really taken Sports Talk Saturday from sort of like a cult following into sort of like an international. You know, like must listen. So I appreciate Corey and all of his uh, pro- uh, what would we call this? His um, his production quality of putting together just an unbelievable show every Saturday. So listen, we work mildly well. Yeah, here at the I don't want to say we work hard. I I we're not. We will we'll stop s- short of that. We're not at the Dusty Rhodes level. We will here. stop short at working hard. We're absolutely yeah. not working as hard as Dusty Rhodes, but. You know, we press some buttons, it happens. We're doing what we can. We're doing what we can. Provided at absolutely no cost to you, the listener. The listener and or the taxpayer. Well, I don't want to say the taxpayer for sure. We'll take but. the taxpayer's money, but you, the listener, absolutely not. We're assuming you are running a tax fraud scheme. So we're going to leave you out of this. The people who are honestly paying their taxes, we will take that tax money and we will give to you Sports Talk Saturday. That's right. And... Um, you know, hey, I, I was on with Bulldog yesterday. I thought um, if you if you had an opportunity to listen to us, um, both him and I had a lot of fun yesterday. I listen, I'm, I'm a big Bulldog fan. Anytime I get to hang out with Bulldog for a couple of hours um, and uh, and shoot the breeze, it's fun. Uh, but if you missed any of our show yesterday, talked a lot about I think which is is going to be an interesting topic 
today, tomorrow, moving forward, is you know what exactly fans are looking for from both the media and from um, professional athletes. It's been kind of a weird few days, and meaning what has been in the news. Um, it, it listen, everybody's back to doing things that they've been doing for their entire life, right? We went on pause for the better part of a year and a couple of months of really doing all of the things we love doing and going to sporting events, live events, interacting with athletes in a real realm, in a real, you know, arena, not figuratively, like an actual arena. Um, I think a lot of fans have forgotten how to behave. Um, and this isn't a shot at anyone in particular. This isn't a shot at Bills fans or or, or Sabres fans. This is more, and it's less of a shot as more of a observation. Um, and, you know, as a, I would call myself a fairly, I'm not a novice when it comes to social media. I would call myself a, you know, I use it a lot. Um, it's part of my daily life. And I think social media sort of took the place of a lot of things that people were missing during the pandemic. And when they were in a lockdown, you watched Netflix and you were by your phone. And I think we all became a little bit more dependent on that, you know, little tiny device in our hands. And I also think that for the most part, it has... There aren't a lot of consequences when you say crazy, terrible, racist, or disrespectful things to people because you don't have to put your face or your actual real name to an account. And you can go out and you can, you know, say racist things or say terrible things and not really have consequences. And I think that mindset over the course of a year has sort of it's compounded and now we've gotten to a place where people are back in the arena people are going to NBA playoff games they're going to NHL playoff games and I think a lot of folks at MLB baseball games have forgotten how to act in public I'm actually really glad you brought this up because I had mentioned this to uh, a group of friends and we all have a kind of a chat together mm -hmm. and I this is coming not just from, you know, all these very quick reports of fans, like, acting like maniacs. Yes, absolute maniacs. And the videos, too. Right, and the videos. videos but also, like, people on airplanes. Like, right. Like, the, the flight attendants union has basically gone to the FEA and said, like, we're getting a lot of people getting punched out. You want to do yeah. something about this? Right. Um, and, I mean, generally speaking, people, I think, Wide and far, through the help of what social media tries to get people angry, so they they can they engage more with it. Generally speaking, how the ecosystem of social media works. Yes, um, you're rewarded with social media by getting angrier because people they realized, and there's plenty of research and reporting about this now, that people stick around on social media when they get angry. The YouTube algorithm works this way. The Facebook algorithm works this way. This is how they keep you on social media. You're upset. So now that people are now leaving and talking to each other, like I have wondered, like, is this, are, have we lost our minds? A little bit. Because, I think a little bit. Because it's terrifying. Yeah. Because it's not just like, oh, wow, that guy got really hot at a sporting event. He threw popcorn. It's like, no, we, there's people like putting stars of David on themselves. Yeah. It's there's, like, it is like terrifying. A, and listen, as a Knicks fan, um, I, by the way, we're all coming out of, out of the woodwork again because the Knicks are relevant and they're not a complete joke and we don't just make fun of the owner anymore. We can enjoy a decent product on, on the, on the floor, but a Knicks fan, you know, spitting on Trey Young as he inbounds a pass during a game. And listen, we can, and frankly, even I, I almost, 
I almost feel a little weird or dirty about the way that the fan base has listened. Trey Young uh, got after it with Knicks fans. I think it was a fun rivalry at first to see. And then, like, you know, fans making posters about him in his male pattern baldness. I just think that's like a weird thing. And it's fine. I get it. But, like, that's the maybe the borderline I'm willing to get to. But anything more than that, I, I start to feel like. What are we doing here? But, you know, a like, little bit. When you violate a person's space, like when you feel... In the NBA, that, that's the... And here's the the thing that about sort of how this conversation came full circle is the NBA is one of the rare sports that allows fans to be between as far as me and the mic right now. Yeah. And if fans are going to continue to cross the line... The NBA is going to be forced to do what every other major sport it does, which is create a barrier between the field of play and and fans. And I think it's the one sport left that is still very much it's the court and then there are fans and they're right there and it's part of like the lure of it, but we just I think as a society, we just need to take a step back a little here. And and everyone's excited to be back and everyone's excited to be out in public and at restaurants um and listen, you know, I, I think for the most part, there has just, we've all sort of lost our, I don't, I don't know if I want to like coin this like our public persona, but I think we've all sort of lost what it's like and how to act when we are in public places. It's there, almost like trying to reteach your kid. There are these social rules. Right. How we are supposed to act. There's a construct in place. But, like, we've also broke down actual rule of law recently. Yeah. So, like, why should we expect yeah. the standard rules between how people interact, interact right. when we don't honestly respect each other's humanity, you don't re think you need to respect those social rules. And that can express itself in extraordinarily physical and violent ways, but also just in very basic ways. Yeah. Think about the PGA Championship when Mickelson's coming up 18. I didn't even, I didn't even, we didn't even really talk about that yesterday, but that's such a good point. Like that's, it, it just, there's a lot, listen, you know, during the 2019 Masters, when, when Tiger's walking up the 18th hole, you've got all those fans that are coming up right behind him. And there was never the moment you 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 get a guy that breaks that line, right? And tries to make contact, or tries to touch, or tries to to interfere in the personal space of a professional athlete in a moment where focus and uh, attention to detail is so important. It's a very selfish thing for somebody in that group of people, those fans. To break the barrier and try to make contact with a player who is doing something that's historic. Yeah. You just, there there are certain lines that I think as fans, there was a lot of unwritten rules that I think maybe are now, they need to sort of become, they need to come back to the forefront. Is somebody going to try to f start a fight with an IndyCar? Like, is somebody going to come out onto, onto the racetrack and literally like, try to spit and start a fight with we, a car? We went from, okay, that streaker was funny and cute, to uh, what What exactly is happening here? So, you know, I, I think at the end of the day, you know, the conversation that Bulldog and I had yesterday, it was great. Uh, we, we got a couple of really good calls. I think we phased in and layered in a lot of good conversation about how this type of situation is going to affect the Sabres when, you know, next season, when... We assume full capacities back at the arena. Um, there is just a lot of we we talked about the Bills' home opener, right? In uh, the Bills' home opener, they play Pittsburgh. It's going to be the first time in more than you know. It's going to be the first time in a year that there's been 
you know, people in the stadium. And not only that, but people that are going to be whooped up. And I, I just think everyone, for the sake of enjoying professional sports moving forward, there are some things we need to, as a society, sort of acknowledge and 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 try to be better at. Like I, I, you know, I know that. There, a lot of stuff gets sensationalized. I, I think I would rather not see as very like as many videos of like a Padres fan cold cocking another fan and knocking him out cold. I'd like to not see those videos as frequently as I seem to be seeing them um, nowadays. But that's a conversation um, that Bulldog and I had. And if you, of course, want to go back and listen, I thought it was a great conversation that we we kind of spread out over four hours. Um, also had Joe Yurden on yesterday, but you can head to Odyssey app and on-demand audio, or you can head to WGR550.com and check us out there. For me, I'm going to kind of shift gears here. Um, I've, I've got Ryan Talbot here in New York Upstate joining me right now on the West or on the West Her Hotline. And first things first, uh, Ryan, uh, are you? I can't remember. Are you much of an NBA fan? Uh, I'm a Chicago Bulls fan, so I'm not much of an NBA playoff fan since they haven't really been there in a while. But you know, I am buddy. An I'm NBA a Knicks fan. fan. I haven't. Yeah. <laughs> I'm a Knicks fan. I've been buddy. watching though. <laughs> I know. I've been cheering for the. I've been cheering for the Knicks because they have so many former Bulls on that team. Right. Yeah. Gibson. You've got D Rose, and yeah, it's. It's been, you know, the NBA. Uh, I have also been watching some NHL as well. I I always kind of find myself this time of year sort of picking a playoff based on, you know, what what are the storylines, what's more exciting. And right now, that Knicks Atlanta series, the the Clippers and um, the Mavs series, they're just really entertaining. There's a lot of good storylines. You know, I'm watching D Rose drop thirty, um, like he's a vintage D Rose or something. So, um, but you know, one of the conversations we've been having, we had yesterday when I was on with Bulldog is just the fan engagement. Everyone is real excited to be back. And, you know, one of the things that I, I, we were sort of, we, we, we brushed upon yesterday, Ryan, was, you know, that first Bills game um, in September against the Steelers, you know, like, I'm a little nervous for it, to be honest. Just basically, like, nobody's been, not not 100% capacity. Now, we had some people there for the playoff games, but let's be real, Ryan. I mean, that's nothing like what a game day in September, especially a home opener, is going to be like with 100% capacity. You know, are you at all, like, thinking in the back of your mind a little worried about, like, what the fan interaction is going to be like? And, and, and are people going to be able to, you know, maintain and be mature about being back in the stadium? Like, I guess my question for you is if you had a kid that was like 12 years old, would you be comfortable bringing him to the home opener against the Steelers? Yeah, personally, I, I don't know if I would for the home opener. Like you said, I think what we've seen in other sports, I heard you talking about baseball with the Padres fan that just knocked the, the man out with one punch. Right. We've seen uh, fans spitting on players, the popcorn falling on players, food getting thrown. You know, And we've even seen pre-pandemic some things that have happened at Bills games, things getting tossed onto the field. We've seen some fights in the stands, some people uh, that get pretty well inebriated before the kickoff. <laughs> so uh, does the fact that they've been pent up in, in their homes now for well over a year uh, without NFL football, it's going to be definitely interesting to see how these first few games play out in terms of the fights, in terms of I'm sure there'll be some viral videos that, uh, that uh, hit the Internet tailgating or or maybe even in the stadium so yeah i, I think if i was uh, bringing a younger kid with me i would maybe hold off at least until around mid-season 
Yeah, I, I sort of feel the same way. And listen, you know, my dad, when I was growing up, I was, you know, never really allowed to go to Dolphins games, right? Like when I was growing up, there were games I could go to and there were games that I couldn't go to. And the Dolphin game every year was like the one game I was not allowed to go to. So when I finally had season tickets, um, the Dolphin game was sort of like a rite of passage, right? Because that's everybody hates the Dolphins. Bills fans don't like Dolphins fans. And, you know, like they blow up a fish in the parking lot. Like there was just a lot uh, that would go into those games. But like... I, I think it's it's a little different now, and I I, I, I guess I what I'm trying to say is I understand that people are sort of like blowing off some steam and like they've got a full year of like I haven't been out, I gotta go crazy here a little bit. But I do think that there's professional sports, particularly fan conduct. There's always sort of like an unwritten set of rules, um, and I think we're almost at the point, Ryan, where we might have to like actually write those rules down now. Like they, They've gone past unwritten and more so like we need to have a code of conduct that everybody sort of abides by here so that we can all enjoy this because I think a lot of times what the conversation we're having about like would you bring your kid to a game, I think it's important that like, you know, Sabres games and Bills games, we want them to be family environments. We want you to be able to bring your kid to a game. We also want guys and gals that are adults to be able to enjoy their Sunday afternoon, blow some steam off and have a couple of adult beverages. But like there's I'm wondering, you know, where that line is going to be and and I'm definitely a little nervous about it going into the season for sure. Yeah, I, I think that's understandable. And, and the the tough part about any kind of like code of conduct is, you know, what what is right, what is wrong, where where is the cutoff point, what can you do, what can't you do um when it comes to fan behavior. Uh, you know, what's the punishment for a first time? Is, is there an automatic right. loss of, of, you know, season tickets or whatever the case may be based on what they're doing? So it, it's hard to get everyone on the same page with stuff like that. There, there certainly needs to, to be more awareness this year because of everything going on, the fact that we're most likely going to see students at full capacity for the first time in over a year. Uh, it, it's going to be, especially that first game, because you yeah. know that Pittsburgh fans will travel well. Oh, yeah. Uh, so there's going to be a pretty split base. Now, when you get to Washington, when you get to the Houston Texans, I don't think you're going to see uh, a ton of their fans in Orchard Park at that time of the year. Texans especially, down years, you know, is, is the expectation. You don't know what's happening with Watson there. Washington is a very good defense, but I don't know if their fans will travel to uh, Orchard Park for that one or not, but yeah, that first game is going to be worrisome just because there's going to be a good split of fans there in attendance. Uh, Ryan Talbot here of New York Upstate, Syracuse.com, the Shout Podcast. And if you haven't taken uh, or checked out the Shout Podcast, uh, both Ryan and Matt Perino, it's one of my favorite ones around right now. Make sure you check them out wherever you get your podcast, Spotify, um, you know, I, Apple iTunes, all that good stuff. Uh, Ryan, I wanted to, to sort of start first with you. Before we kind of get into the bills, I think – you know, this Julio Jones, I've got Aaron Freeman of Lockdown Falcons. He's joining me right after you to get a little bit of a better feel of what's going on, maybe like where he believes Julio Jones ends up. But, you know, this week we've seen a concerted effort by several people, but most namely A.J. Brown of the Tennessee Titans really recruiting hard Julio Jones. And I'm wondering what you believe Julio Jones' presence in the AFC does to the dynamic of the AFC and where that may be, you know, if, if you're a Bills fan, why you might be a little concerned by that. And I think the first team I, I'm thinking of here is Tennessee. And what do you believe Julio Jones brings to the Tennessee Titans if he does end up getting traded there? And do you believe he's the type of player that maybe brings them up a tier? He's the type of player that brings your team up a tier as long as you have a quarterback in place. And I think Ryan Tannehill is a quarterback that, that's good enough that you would consider that uh, the Titans would move up a tier. I know Tannehill is never going to be talked about with the Patrick Mahomes and the Aaron Rodgers and the Josh Allens of the world, 
Uh, but he, he is a capable quarterback that people kind of forgot about because of his tenure in Miami. He's been very good uh, in, in Tennessee. They obviously still have Derrick Henry. And then you add, if you were to add a Julio Jones to an A.J. Brown, uh, all of a sudden that offense is very dangerous and could hurt you in a variety of ways. So, yeah, that is one team where uh, I see them elevating, or I see a player like Julio Jones elevating them up to the next level. And, and, you know, obviously another team that you hear a lot about is the New England Patriots, where I don't think he would have the same effect there because going back to the quarterback factor, right. we don't know what Cam Newton is anymore. Uh, we don't know when he's going to turn over the keys to the castle, so to speak, because I would be very surprised if he started every game in New England this year, unless there's a kind of juggernaut and, and Cam Newton goes back to his MVP form, which I don't anticipate. Mac Jones is going to start at some point this season, and I don't see Julio Jones being a factor. I mean, we've seen, what, Terrell Owens come through Buffalo mm-hmm. when they had right. uh, some subpar quarterback play. We, we've seen other players come through here. They drafted Sammy Watkins to be that guy with E.J. Manuel, and obviously didn't work out in either of their cases, but a, a wide receiver can elevate a team if you have your quarterback in place. I'm wondering, you know, I, there was a lot of moves, I mean, subtle moves. I mean, they go out and they draft Rashad Bateman. They go out and they sign uh, Sammy Watkins in the offseason to add with, you know, Hollywood Brown. But the Ravens, I've got Sean Stepner coming up at, 12, at, uh, at noon. So we're going to get another good look at a team that could potentially land Julio Jones or has been at least talked about as landing Julio Jones. I'm wondering... Does that move the needle at all for you if he goes to Baltimore? And I guess I'll preface that question by saying, you know, giving you a little bit of thought on my end, is I just don't think, I mean, you could add, you could put Jerry Rice in that system, and I'm just not sure that based on, again, this is not, I don't think, I want to make sure that I'm not making a shot at Lamar Jackson, because I'm not. This is more of a shot at Greg Roman that I just don't believe they have the passing structure or scheme or system that can, you know, really get the ball to a receiver in multiple set of ways, and I think... Julio Jones adds to the dynamic of that room. I'm just not sure that he really adds, like, wins above replacement, if that makes sense. Yeah, no, that makes perfect sense. I was just going to mention Greg Rowan when you started talking about the Ravens. Is he willing to adapt his system to make it more? Uh, it doesn't have to be passing the like Buffaloes, but you need to realize that you don't need to be uh, ground and pound so much. You don't have to limit the, the pass stems. I think Lamar Jackson is more capable than... than people uh, think is a passer, and just for whatever reason, I guess the success that they have had in that offense over the first few years of his career, they haven't really let him grow as a passer. And now you're giving him these weapons, and if you add a Julio Jones to that room where you've already added some other talent at the wide receiver position, well, yeah, then it's going to come down to Greg Roman and his willing to adjust, his willing to say, okay, you know, this is a game where we're going against a weak secondary. We're really going to depend on the passing game this week. It's okay that to have a good system where you run the ball and you run the ball effectively, uh, especially against teams that struggle against it. But in today's modern NFL, you also have to be able to pass the ball and pass the ball well, and that's something that we haven't been able to see out of Jackson. And I really feel it's Greg Roman that's holding back that offense more yeah. than anything else. Yeah, I'm with you on that. Let's, um, Ryan, let's move into the Bills here a little bit. Obviously, OTAs this week, and we, we don't see Starla Tule or Stefan Diggs amongst a couple of other players, or key players, I should say, um, for OTAs. But again, they are voluntary. Your thoughts overall, I... I don't really have an opinion one way or another on, you know, Stephon Diggs. I think for the most part, we, you know Stephon Diggs is going to be working his ass off regardless, and you know he's going to show up to, to, to mandatory minicamp, into training camp, in the best shape, and a guy that's ready to hit the ground running. I, 
it's the Star Latule one that opened my eyes a little bit because and, and and even hearing Sean McDermott's reaction, he didn't say anything in particular that would make me think like they're worried about Star, but I do I do think it's in the back of their mind and I wonder where you are with Star Latulale, because I think it would have been nice after a year off to see him at voluntary minicamp, getting, you know, reacclimated with the team and the defensive line, and he's not there. And he's a really important piece for them, Ryan. Yeah, he, he's a key cog for that piece, especially in terms of taking on offensive linemen, freeing things up for the linebacker position, making life easier for Ed Oliver. The list goes on and on. Uh, you know, you mentioned it, it's optional. It, can't be too upset if a player doesn't show up because he was one of many veteran defensive linemen that weren't there, but he's also the only one that opted out of the season in 2020, so he, he has not uh, played a game of football or played a snap of football in quite some while. He probably has some rust to shake off. I'm sure the team has a good idea of what kind of shape he's in, but it would still have been nice to have him there, get in the building, meet some of his teammates that uh, are now entering maybe their second year in, in a system that he really hasn't had a chance to, to get to know because of the pandemic and everything that was going on. Maybe he met them virtually, but not in person. Yeah, a lot of new faces, rookies along that defensive line for him to get to know as well. But just, uh, you know, the, the peace of mind of, okay, he's back in the building. He, he's, we have that feeling he's playing for us this year. But at the same time, until he walks through those doors, you don't know for sure. Uh, he made a lot of money in his career, and... Maybe he said, oh, you know, that, that year off wasn't so bad. I'm feeling better than ever. I have a lot in the bank. And mind you, he'd be turning down $10-plus million if he doesn't play this year. I think that uh, that's enough motivation right there to come back. But you still want to get him in the building, shake that rust off, see what he can do, see if you need to make a phone call and maybe bring in some, some true one-technique depth right. because they have those tweener players that can play one-tech, three-tech. Uh, but you, you might want to get someone that's more of a pure one-tech if right. you're not liking what you're seeing out of Latula. And I guess that's kind of the point I'm making here, right? Is this, this isn't maybe – it's not a worry about – you know whether or not he's in shape, I guess, to me. I guess the question becomes is I think, I think if you're Sean McDermott, you want to know what you're getting this year from the one-technique position because it was a pain point for them. And I think in an ideal world, they do not want to move around I, – I think Ed Oliver and Cody Ford – are two guys that are in the same conversation for me as leave them in one place and give them an opportunity to thrive in one spot because they just both of these guys keep getting moved around and it's it's stunting their development. And I think if you really want to see and maximize Ed Oliver, I think you need a a fully functioning Star Latulale. And if you don't have that, right, I, I mean, you don't want to be in July and mandatory before you know training camp wondering if you need to make a move at one tech because they're out there, but they're not going to be there for that much longer. Like, Kwan Short kind of pops up in my head. Is he a guy that could come in and, and play one tech if you need him to? I think the answer is yes, but I don't know. I just, Ryan, for me, he is such a consequential player at this point in the game. I, I just, they are in a tough spot with him because they're kind of, he holds the leverage in terms of money because they restructured him. Yeah, I mean, they own all the leverage, or he owns all the leverage there, and I mean, uh, with, with the way NFL salaries work, even if you were to somehow, to walk away, the Bills are still on the hook for that money. They might be able to get some bonuses back. But, you, you know, you're depending on this guy. He's a, a key player to your defensive line. They struggled against the run without him. They, they know that life without him would be tough again. Uh, if he's not there, you're banking on a, a player like Harrison Phillips returning to form. And, you know, 
maybe that happens because it's been over a year since his second uh, serious injury, lower body injury, ACL. Uh, and it's about that time that you do start to feel better again. Last year, I don't think he was anywhere near truly 100% of what he thought he could be. Uh, maybe if then uh, you stick a Vernon Butler there more than a one-three uh, technique, and, and then you truly let Ed Oliver flourish at that three-technique and play there and play the majority of snaps and rotate another player that's on that depth chart there. You know, this defensive line has so much promise, but right. it's right. going to come down to the interior play because – uh, you, you have your Jerry Hughes and your Mario Addison. You have so many young faces coming off the edge now as well. And if you can push the pocket on the inside and, and get anything from Ed Oliver, uh, it, it's going to really help out those young pass rushers, uh, a player like A.J. Epineza that I think could have a really big yeah. year now that he's at the weight that they want him to be at, now that uh, he has a year in the system under his belt. And this is going to truly be like his first real season being coached up by Eric Washington in the off season, leading up to the regular season. So, there's a lot there, and you have Rousseau and Boogie Basham, and, and maybe F.A. Obata ends up making this roster after, uh, despite them adding two defensive ends early. So you still need that, though, from the interior of the, the line to create that push or for Star Latula to help them stop the run in those early downs to get them in those predictable spots. So, yeah, a, a lot of Buffalo's success is going to come down to Latula walking through those doors and then also the level of play that he brings in 2021. All right, my friend. Appreciate you as always. Thanks for hopping on with me. Uh, what kind of content you and uh, Perino got coming up on the Shout Podcast here uh, over the next couple of weeks? Yeah, we're going to be looking every week at, at their different uh, the camps that they have, the OTAs, the mini camps as, as the summer goes on here. And we'll also be looking at early 53-man roster projections. We'll bring on a lot of media members, yourself included, some former Bills players possibly, and some celebrity Bills fans as well. So keep an eye out for Shout Buffalo Football Podcast. Awesome. Appreciate you, buddy, as always. Enjoy your long weekend, and thanks for joining us. No problem. Right, Ryan Talbot there of New York Upstate joining us on the Western Hotline. Aaron Freeman of Locked On Falcons. He joins us next. Let's get an update on Julio Jones and the Atlanta Falcons season. That's all coming up next here on Sports Talk Saturday on WGR. Welcome back to Sports Talk Saturday. If you just missed Ryan Talbot in New York Upstate, you know the drill. WGR550.com on-demand audio. Check it out there. We're going to have Aaron Freeman here in just one moment. Aaron is the host of Locked on Falcons. And uh, one of the things I wanted to do today, and one of the things, you know, we like doing overall on the show, um, is hearing from other teams, and that's obviously the offseason, so... You know, let, let, let's get acquainted with what some of the teams in the NFC and across the AFC are doing, in particular with the Falcons. They've sort of been making news over the better part of the last, I don't know, month, month and a half pre-draft since the news of Julio Jones has been, he's disgruntled, he's looking to get traded, he has made the team, uh, it has been known to the team that he indeed wants to be traded, and this is maybe less of the the Falcons are looking to retain or find some additional cap space to Julio Jones is just looking for a, you know, kind of new scenery um, from Atlanta. But let's go to the Western Hotline now because host of Locked On Falcons and their podcast over there, and joining me now is Aaron Freeman. Aaron, thanks so much for making time for us this morning, man. We appreciate it. I appreciate you guys having me on. No, pleasure, pleasure. Listen, uh, I wanted to bring you on, obviously, um, People have been talking a lot about the Falcons, and maybe not for all of the best reasons, right? This whole Julio Jones situation um, has sort of been front and center really since the draft. And I'm wondering, you know, overall, 
if you watch ESPN, and this isn't a knock at ESPN because I'm, I, you know, there's a lot of great folks over at ESPN that I love listening to NFL Live. There's this. I don't know, narrative that's, I don't want to say being created, but it's being talked about that, like, if the Falcons really are trying to go for it this year with Matt Ryan and kind of the twilight of his career, you just draft Kyle Pitts, it doesn't make a lot of sense that you're trying to trade Julio Jones. But, like, if you were to maybe push back on that narrative of, like, hey, maybe this just isn't in the Falcons' hands and this is more about Julio Jones wanting out than the Falcons wanting to move on, where do you sit in that? Because I think I think it's a really interesting conversation, but I'm just not sure that ESPN has the maybe the pulse of what the actual situation in Atlanta is, and I'd love to kind of hear it from you. Yeah, it's, it's a difficult question because you hear these sort of conflicting reports that Julio Jones has wanted out. You hear the various reports, and maybe not coincidentally, from people at ESPN that Julio went out because he heard through the grapevine that the Falcons were looking to move on from him. Um, so it, it's hard to sort of nail down what was the genesis of this, knowing you know Julio Jones, not necessarily on a, on a personal level, but on a professional level, knowing how committed he is to winning. I'm sure that these last couple of seasons in Atlanta where the team has struggled have not uh, been great for him. Uh, you hear the various reports about how the last contract negotiation that he had with the extension he got in 2019 sort of caused a souring between him and the previous management of the Falcons. And and maybe that wasn't helped by the new regime taken over by new general manager, Terry Fontenot, you know, potentially looking to shop him and move him and sort of maybe that exacerbated the situation. So it's hard to sort of pin down what the exact origin of this sort of um, split between Julio Jones and the organization uh, was, but certainly we're at a point where it, it does feel like this team and the player are headed towards a divorce, and it's probably not going to be an amicable split for them. Yeah, and, and obviously the the date I think everyone's been looking at is June 1st because that way they're able to sort of split the dead cap hit that will ultimately be on this team, who, by the way, is pretty cap hit, um, at least right now and over the next couple of seasons. They're sort of, I don't want to say cap hell, because every team can find ways to become a little bit better under the cap, and a lot of people have been talking about, well, hey, if you're trying to move Julio Jones in order to create a little bit more cap space for yourself now and into the future, why not just restructure, you know, um, uh, 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 I'm trying to think, of, who's the defensive tackle that everyone's talking about? Grady, uh, Grady Jarrett. Grady Jarrett, yes. Um, so everyone say, you, know, you could just restructure this player or this player and make room or make that salary cap space that you're looking to make by, by moving Julio Jones. I guess the question becomes... If from an outsider looking in, Aaron, how strapped are the Falcons right now and kind of in the outlook of the next two years, knowing that the salary cap ceiling is going to take a pretty big jump to $220 million next year? Uh, how concerned are you that Terry Fontenot and, you know, I think Arthur Smith are inheriting something that might take a couple of years to really right the ship? Well, the, the main concern, obviously, because of COVID-19 and depressing of this year's salary cap is their main issue. Like, you know, the, the, the issue with the salary cap, and I'm maybe infamous for saying this, but I always say the salary cap is a lie. Right. And the Falcons aren't the only team in the sense that they're cash-strapped. But what becomes a problem for you is if you're cash-strapped and, and the cap is an issue when you're not winning games. And you, you see other teams around the league like the Saints and the Chiefs and the Steelers that similarly are in similar cap predicaments as the Falcons are without having a lot of cap room these last couple of years. But because they win – it doesn't. It isn't a problem, and when you're losing in, in the way that the Falcons yeah, right. have lost these last years, then it becomes a major issue. So, 
you know, I don't know if the salary cap is that big an obstacle, particularly in the future, if the Falcons get back to their winning ways uh, under new head coach Arthur Smith. If they can get back into the playoff hunt, then I don't think anybody's going to be looking at their salary cap situation as a major obstacle for them. Um, I think with the uh, expected swelling of the salary cap next year and in the future years once the the new TV money kicks in, I think the Falcons will be fine from a salary cap standpoint. But, again, a lot of that depends on if they can actually win games. If they're losing games, then no one's going to care that they have, you know, 20 million or 30 million or whatever the case may be to spend. Um, And if they're winning games, no one's going to care that they only have five or or 10 million to spend. So I I think ultimately, at the end of the day, you know, they say winning cures all ails. I think that's the same situation for the Falcons. I, I don't think their salary cap situation is dire, but certainly they're not going to be a team, you know, like some of these teams we've seen in recent years where they're going to be able to go into the offseason with $30, $40 million in order to really improve their roster in major ways. That's, that's not something that's going to be on the horizon for them, given the uh, money that they have committed to Matt Ryan currently, and that doesn't seem like that's going to change anytime soon uh, because of the team's decision to pass on a quarterback. They're going to have to probably wind up paying Calvin Ridley, which I think is partially influencing the Julio sure. Jones situation where the Falcons were going to move on from him and they can't afford to necessarily pay two wide receivers top-end money. Uh, Grady Jarrett's entering, the, you know, 2022 is the final year of his contract, so if they want to keep him around, uh, and they should because he's the best player on their defense, he, he's going to need to get paid. They have first-round picks from 2019 and Chris Lindstrom and Caleb McGarry, and we know that the price tag of offensive linemen have gone up yep. in recent years, so they're going to have to pay those guys eventually. So the Falcons aren't going to be able to escape this salary cap nightmare, this salary cap hell, this salary cap purgatory, whatever you want to call it, anytime soon. But if they're winning games, I don't think it ultimately matters. Aaron Freeman here. He's the host of the Locked On Falcons podcast, joining us on the Wester Hotline. We're talking a little Julio Jones. We're talking the 2021 Falcons uh, sort of outlook with or without Julio Jones. And one of the things, uh, you know, you, you start to think about, and one of the things I would say I'm, I'm just as a fan of the NFL, I'm excited about, I really like the fit with Arthur Smith coming over from Tennessee, particularly seeing what he was able to do to turn around Ryan Tannehill's career from a guy that maybe was, you know, I mean, he was he was picked up in Tennessee to be the backup to Marcus Mariota. He ends up stepping in, and now he's a damn near an all-pro player. And, you know, I think for me, as a guy that watches the quarterback position pretty closely, I think if you're looking at one quarterback this year, especially from a fantasy perspective, to take a notable step back, I think I think the candidate for that is, is, is Ryan Tannehill. And I'm wondering what you think the infusion of a new offensive coordinator, and we know that Matt Ryan still has some gas left in the tank. This is a guy that's I think maybe one of the under more underappreciated quarterbacks of the era, um, and it's because he doesn't have that Super Bowl ring, and we all know about you know what happened in that Super Bowl against the, uh, the Patriots. But I guess my question for you here is, what is the outlook with Arthur Smith and Matt Ryan this year? And, and are you expecting, if Julio Jones is gone, for this offense to really maybe look more like the offense we've seen when this team was having success you know, with Kyle Shanahan a few years back? Or, or is this an offense that might still be a work in progress based on the fact that you don't exactly know what you're going to get from an aging Matt Ryan, and you don't exactly know what you're getting from Mike Davis or from you know some of the other receivers on the roster if Julio Jones is gone. Yeah, I, I, it's a little bit of both. I think there's reasons to be very optimistic that Arthur Smith will be able to uh, enhance this offense. Um, obviously, I think that often optimism is somewhat mitigated if Julio Jones is not a, on the Falcons this upcoming season. You know, Julio, I've often said, 
on Lockdown Falcons and over the years that Julio is the sun, right? He All the gravity in the solar system revolves around him. He's the centerpiece of this offense. And we've never really seen the Falcons in the time span of Matt Ryan's 14 years in the NFL be a highly potent offense when they didn't have Julio Jones on the football field. In the early years prior to Julio Jones's arrival in, in 2011, when the Falcons' offense was at its best, it was primarily a run-first offense with Michael Turner sort of spearheading things, and then they sort of transitioned into more of a pass-first offense once they acquired Julio Jones, and we've seen that offense reach new heights. So I think there's reasons to be hopeful with, as you mentioned, what Arthur Smith was able to do with Ryan Tannehill, uh, who was not a particularly – good quarterback in Miami, and then, as you say, went to Tennessee and started putting up numbers, you know, in a lot of ways, depending on what metrics you're looking at, is comparable to what Patrick Mahomes has done in certain metrics from an efficiency standpoint these last couple of years. So that gives you a lot of optimism that you're going to get improvement, but, you know, Julio Jones was a big part of that optimism because he has been that sort of centerpiece of this offense, and you know, even if Julio Jones is not the player that he was two, three years ago, he's still one of the best playmakers in the NFL. You know he's the guy that teams are going to sit there when they're game planning and say, we don't want this guy to beat us. We're going to do everything in our power to not allow this guy to beat us. And and that causes bracketed coverage and double teams and whatnot, and that creates one-on-ones for the playmakers that the Falcons have elsewhere with Calvin Ridley and Kyle Pitts and Hayden Hurst, et cetera. And that makes their jobs easier. And without Julio Jones doing that, as he has done, over the course of his entire career, you wonder whether or not those pieces on their own will be able to sort of carry that burden and give the Falcons a the potent offense that I think they're capable of. So I, I think there's reasons to think that the Falcons' offense will be much improved this year, but I think their ceiling is probably a little lower uh, if Julio Jones is not there. So tell me, as a fantasy owner, particularly a dynasty owner of multiple teams, that I I'm tr- I don't want to like say that I'm going all on in Mike Davis because I don't want any of the people in my leagues to be listening to the show <laughs> and then try to poach him. But um, I really. Uh, like I think it was one of the more under the radar, not enough talked about moves for the Falcons because he was a player that, I, listen, I, I, I'm not going to say that the Panthers didn't miss a beat when he came in for an injured Christian McCaffrey, but I mean, the numbers are not that far off when he got the volume pass catching and running numbers that he did in, in the absence of Christian McCaffrey. And I'm wondering what you think his outlook is this year on a team that really needed a more dynamic running attack. Todd Gurley just did not get it done last year. He looks burnt out, and it's too bad. He was one of my favorite players in the league, and he just he looks spent. Um, but I'm wondering what you think you know, Mike Davis's outlook is in this offense this year, considering they don't have a ton at that position. Shoot. Yeah, you know what? Hold on. Like, you know what, man? I just got a text message from one of my league. So they're listening. Damn it. All right, go ahead. <laughs> Damn it. Um, I, yeah, I think with Mike Davis last year especially, like that first month where he replaced Christian McCaffrey, you know, that Panthers offense was really humming uh, without Christian McCaffrey. I think things by the end of the season may not have been as strong, and I think that's the one concern with Mike Davis is that you get these moments but can he be that player that he was in that first month of, of 2020 starting for the Panthers? Can he be that for a full 16 games? So I, I feel like you're right in the sense of what Mike Davis can bring to the table and give the Falcons a little bit more of a dynamic runner that can bring that mix of power 
and, and you know, surprisingly elusive for a player uh, uh, of his size and, and give them a little bit more juice in the running game. They're going to be much more committed to the outside zone running scheme than they have been the last couple of years, which I think has contributed somewhat to their rushing issues, but they do have some concerns on the offensive line. They have a fairly young offensive line trying to replace Alex Mack um, with some, you know, second-year players and possibly a rookie in their fourth-round pick this past year, Drew Dahlman. So there are some concerns, particularly on the interior of that offensive line. And so, you know, I think the benefit that you have with Mike Davis, again, going back to the Julio Jones conversation, is that you didn't need Mike Davis to have to necessarily be that rock and that foundation in the offense every single week because you knew the offense was going to be driven primarily through Julio Jones and Calvin Ridley. And now without Julio Jones there, the passing game is going to be primarily driven between Calvin Ridley and now Kyle Pitts, their number four overall selection this past year, is going to have to sort of hit the ground running um, you know, as a rookie tight end, which is not something that typically happens in this league. And then you're probably going to need a lot more consistency from Mike Davis. So I think the capability is there. It's just a question of, do you have the right pieces around Mike Davis before he could pick and choose his spots and you can get a 110-yard game here, a 90-yard game here, a 120-yard game here, and now you may need to have to get that more consistently week in and week out, and we just haven't seen it from Mike Davis. It's not that he's not capable right. of it, but we just have not seen it from him over the course you know, of his six, seven years that he's been in the NFL. All right, Aaron. Last thing I got before you, uh, before I let you go here is I feel like I gotta get I gotta get you on record. Um, where do you think Julio ends up? I, I I have I I want to pay attention to some of the Vegas lines that I've been seeing and seeing that over the last couple of days the Rams have moved into second position. Um, I find that super interesting. I'm just not sure how the hell the Rams are going to figure out how to get that done. I, I just it it would blow my mind if the Rams found a way to fit 15 million in that salary cap situation. They don't have any picks to send you. I'm I'm just wondering how the hell the Rams are still being talked about as a team that this could potentially happen to. But I'm wondering. Where if if you were a betting man right now and you had to put a you know, hundred bucks on it, where do you think Julio is ended up playing football in twenty twenty one? Yeah, you know that seems like a classic Rams move. If Julio is available, they would definitely try to find a way to go get him. But as you say, how they can pull that off uh, this particular summer seems impossible. So with that being said, it feels like the the direction is pointing some way somehow to new england I, i've heard various reports that say new england the price tag when you hear the recent reports about a first round pick is too rich for the uh, a team like the patriots and, and that probably is true but at the same time you know you've heard connections that julio wants to go to new england you've heard you know instances that their team in the mix there i'm sure th- th- your listenership is not necessarily mm-hmm. enthusiastic <laughs> about uh, that idea of, of Julio yeah. Jones going to New England. But, you know, it, it seems like in terms of teams that have the money and the will to go get him, it seems like they're the team that makes the most sense. If I was to, you know, put a little side bet to hedge a little bit on it, I would probably say the 49ers just because mm. of the familiarity and kind of has with them. They have a little bit of cap space, so they be might be able to make that move. But, um yeah, it's it's difficult. It's just difficult to sort of predict where Julio's going to wind up because, you know, in theory, all 32, and all 32, including the Falcons, should want Julio right. Jones on their roster. It's just a question of do does teams have the money and the will to, to pay the price to go get him right now. 
Aaron, thanks so much for making time on this long uh, holiday weekend, man. I really appreciate it and uh, looking forward to your content mo- moving through the season and would love to have you back on again sometime in the future. Absolutely. You guys enjoy your weekend. You as well. Aaron Freeman there. He's the host of Locked On Falcons. You can follow him uh, on Twitter. Let me get you his uh, his information. It's F-A-L-C-F-A-N-S. So Falk fans on Twitter. Quick timeout. Got to take a couple of breaks here. Then the noon hour gets underway. I will have Sean Stepner. Uh, and I've got um, – now I'm, I'm, I'm losing track of who I, who I brought in the show. Oh, Sean Stepner. Why can't I remember? I'll, I'll remember and figure it out and tell you I'm on the other side of the break here on Sports Talk Saturday on WGR. Uh, in my advanced age, short-term memory loss, it's a real problem. Okay, it's a real problem. I, I don't even remember who I booked for my own damn show. Sean Stepner is going to join us here coming up in the noon hour. Matt Lombardo of Fansided, he's going to join us. He covers and uh, he covers the New York Giants. So we're going to talk a little G-Men, going to talk a little Ravens. We've got a look around the NFL in the 12 o'clock hour, so don't go anywhere here on WGR. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge apply. Ctmobile.com. 